We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. This is our 37th episode of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, the Hornets have now officially started their preseason uh, festivities. Media day happened a few days ago, and now training camp, yeah, it's it's officially underway. So, Fellas, we're here. We don't have to talk about it anymore. It's it's a pretty much here now. So during this episode, we're going to be discussing our all-star, Kimball Walker, Frank Kaminsky. We'll recap Media Day. Uh, we've actually got quite a few Twitter questions we need to get to uh, and much more <clears throat> as we approach the start of the NBA season. As we stand today, we're about two and a half weeks out from the start of the regular season where the Hornets will be in in Detroit, right? Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, 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 in Detroit. So it's crazy to think that we're two and a half weeks away, but it's also really exciting that the NBA season is almost here. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks to all of our dedicated listeners uh, of the show so far. Please recruit your friends um, to listen and connect with us on Twitter. Ask us questions. Get involved. Uh, that's what we want our audience to do. So uh, on that note, let me just let me let me throw it to Brian here in a second. Brian, we were talking before we jumped on here live. You said you've been busy this week. There's obviously some things happening in college sports. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. week I know I know the boys at Sports Channel Eight, uh, one of, <laughs> some of our really good friends, um, have been busy this week. And, and yeah. uh, some of the stuff that that you guys do over there is it's the funniest on the internet. I'm I'm fairly convinced of that. But what's going on, man? You've had a little bit of a crazy week here, huh? Yeah. Anytime the, uh, the fed starts sniffing around the industry you're covering, uh, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. Um, and obviously we're recording this on a, on a Thursday night and the last 48 hours, 60 hours or so of college basketball have been, have been insane with what's happened with the, the FBI investigation into corruption and bribery and, and fraud and, you know, it's just in, in covering the ACC for a, the ACC Sports Journal, you know, obviously Louisville's been tied up in this and, you know, Miami is, you know, unnamed, but likely connected to this. And, you know, who knows if this is just the tip of the iceberg or, you know, what's what's happening now, if this is going to lead to some sort of 
long-term top to bottom change in college hoops known the NCAA, probably not. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been insane with what's, what's happened this week. Not really surprising, I guess, but definitely to have the FBI, <laughs> like I still just can't yeah. get over that. But you know, w- when it comes to, you know, paying these guys for play, you know, paying money for, for players, uh, I'm not surprised. Like, I don't think everybody does it, but certain schools with certain blue chip guys like that, that are nine months away from an NBA paycheck. Nah, it doesn't surprise me at all, but, um, that this has happened. And, you know, this is what also happens when you have a, you know, it, what should be, or what could be an open market and you restrict it and it creates a black market. And that's what happens here in, with college hoops. So busy week, but if you would like a little bit of levity brought to it, I would recommend checking out sports generally on Twitter. My boy, Hayes Permar did a little opera version of Chow Pacino that if you haven't seen it yet is worth, is worth the 60 second listen of, of Hayes singing opera in paying Rick Pitino, one last farewell. So make sure to check that out at Sports Channel Eight on Twitter. Yeah, no, it, it's worth 120 seconds. I'd watch it twice. <laughs> I mean, it, it is that, it's that funny, but um, but yeah, it's crazy stuff. Actually, you know, my day job for those who don't know is is working at a uh, for a Division One athletic department, and had have had some conversations this week, uh, Brian. I I think this is going to last a long time. It's going to yeah. go really, really deep. And it's a reminder yeah. to, to a lot of us out there. Well, not us, but it's a reminder. To a lot of people, if, if you have a ring, uh, uh, of any kind of transactions that involves money laundering, whether you're a big fish or a small fish, <laughs> it's a federal, you can't do that. That's against yeah. federal law. So yeah. I think that's kind of the message being sent here. I think there's much bigger fish, uh, you know, out there or, or in Manhattan and, he- yeah. you know, hedge funds and, and people like that who are probably a little bit more dangerous than what these guys were doing, but breaking yeah. the law is breaking the law. And I think the, uh, I think the U S attorneys have kind of sent that message this week. So it's interesting stuff, but, um, yeah. we'll put it to bed there. Richie, yeah. give us some good news. Are the kids yeah. acting better down there <laughs> in, in the Charlotte area? I, I'm taking no more questions about my kids. Okay. So we're not going to talk about my school year anymore. We're going to focus on yeah. the Hornets and basketball. So, yeah, uh, this is the last I'm going to speak on it. No, they're not getting better. So uh, you uh, can expect that answer pretty much throughout you know, the course of the year. Uh, I could tell you some stuff off, off air uh, as to what happened recently <laughs> in school. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking no more questions, Spencer, for, from the, uh, the classroom. <laughs> All right. There's not any money laundering going on down there. Right? <laughs> no, no. But I wish I could recruit some better kids. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You got to uh, talk to the, talk to the fellows at Adidas, man. Just get them to start uh, cutting you some checks there. Yeah. I mean, well, they're good hands with you, uh, Richie, yeah. that, that much is for sure. And like you said, we're here to talk about the Hornets and we're happy, um, to be back. Uh, Richie, on that note, I'm going to throw it to you. You had a good piece on Kimball Walker and our player forecast series on queen city hoops come out earlier this week that I really enjoyed. Um, so let's start with that. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you found in that piece and what surprised you. Uh, what was the negative, right. positive? Lead, lead, lead us into something here. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we definitely waited a little bit to put out Kimball Walker's piece on Queen City Hoops. Obviously, he's our best player. He's an all-star uh, for us. So we definitely wanted to build up the uh, the hype and the anticipation for this. So over at Queen City Hoops, I wrote a piece on Kimball Walker. Uh, and the first thing that I noted, like he has to be top two, three, four players in the NBA Uh, when it comes to value for his contract. Uh, I mentioned this to open the piece, but he gets paid $12 million a year for the next two years. So this makes him the 104th highest paid player in the NBA. And if you were to look at those uh, those rankings on SI or ESPN, uh, he is nowhere near 104th 
best player in the NBA. So the value that you're getting on this guy is very, very high. Obviously, in a couple of years, we're going to have to make another decision on this kid. But just you know, just appreciating that fact with him, because if you're going to compare that to other top point guards in the league, you have Wall and Kyrie, who are both getting paid 18 million. Uh, you got Lowry, who's getting paid 28 million. The only other point guard that's kind of up in that upper echelon that's getting paid less, uh, to my knowledge, is is IT uh, Thomas. Mm-hmm. He's getting paid yep. six, uh, six or so, but his his contract's up at the end of this year. So at mm-hmm. least we got uh, Kimba for one more year underneath a good contract. So I do think we need to appreciate the fact that Kimba uh, for his play, uh, but also for the contract that we have him under. I guess the positives, just kind of looking at this guy, you know, we we, we all noted this, uh, and you even noticed this, noted this. Spencer on your podcast uh, with Nate Duncan, just his overall efficiency shooting the ball rose. And I think a lot of people, when they saw his performance in the 15, 16 season, they didn't really think that it could get better or maybe slightly, but it, it, it really, in every facet of his shooting, it got better. And I know that, you know, that's a, there's an amazing stat with him off ball, but you know, where he's shooting um, the first, first in the NBA, right. in the, in the overall efficiency of off ball shooting. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah. An effective field goal percentage of seventy on wow. catch and yeah. shoots. Wow, it's, it's insane. Ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. He's he's like Curry from three years yeah. ago, basically. Like that's what he was. Now, I mean, we don't see him play. I mean, we do see him play off ball a little bit, but I, I think just as important is when he's coming off the dribble. I mean, obviously he's our point guard, so he's going to be mm-hmm. handling the ball a lot for top pick and rolls. And he averaged about five pull up threes a game, and he shot it at a thirty five percent clip, which is which is not too bad. So um, mm-hmm. I think overall shooting, Kemba got way better, and we didn't think that he would. But then again, we also are going to pose this question: Is he going to get better from this year? And it's hard to think that he would. So. I guess there's a lot of things that he did better in, but I think the, the main thing that I focused on in the article was was his shooting, whether it be off ball or on ball, and kind of how that adds different elements to the uh, the Hornets' offense. So, you know, what what do you think made him so special last season? You know, why was he an All Star? What do you guys think? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you you kind of hit on it a little bit here, but uh, it really his shooting. It this is. And again, Kemba has all these awesome intangibles too, no doubt. Now, I don't, I don't want to. I'm glossing over that, and I don't mean to be because he's this team's captain. He's the leader. He's he's great in clutch situations offensively. He's the the guy was the real deal last year. But if you wanted to boil it down to one thing, it's his shooting, specifically his range shooting, and he's become so damn good at shooting the ball from 26 feet from the hoop. And most people aren't good at doing that. It's really, really hard, especially when you're drawing all sorts of defensive attention like Kemba is. And, you know, when he wasn't playing with Cody last year, he's having to deal with even more attention because easier to hedge trap, all that sort of stuff. If you don't, if you're only worrying about Roy Hibbert rolling to the basket, but it's not hyperbole to say that last season, at least Kemba was, is, was hands down one of the best shooters in the world. I mean, he's, and in a variety of metrics, he's better than guys like Curry Thompson. I don't, I'm not saying he's a better shooter than those guys and maybe I'm cherry picking at times too, but I mean, he's on, he's on par off shooting off the dribble from deep with guys like Lillard and Kyrie and Steph and, and it four. And, you know, he's as far as catch and shooting going, he was the best that he shot 48% on catch and shoots last season. It makes you wish they could find more ways. They would kind of, they would, there was one little action they would run last season where, He'd enter the ball to Batum, mm-hmm. kind of zip down to the elbow, and then Kaminsky would come in from the mm-hmm. wing, set a little, set a little screen for him to get out on the 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 like foul line extended three point area for a catch and shoot, and it, it seemed like he made those a lot. You'd like to think if 
if Monk became a playmaker, they could maybe even use Kemba in some sort of floppy action and stuff like that this year too. But you know, it's just, it's what he did shooting from really far from the hoop is incredible. This, this past season on three pointers, this is 25 to 29 feet from the hoop. Uh, he was 119 of 324, almost 37%. Uh, that's a career high in attempts, makes, and percentage. And he was one of only 10 players in the league to take uh, 300 plus threes from beyond 25 feet from the hoop. Uh, he's he's a special offensive player. And, you know, if he could just repeat that again in 2017, 2018, he's another all, it's another all-star season for Kemba, which would be, which would be pretty cool. It's something we haven't seen in Charlotte in a long time as someone going to back-to-back all-star games. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to echo what you guys have already said. I mean, part of what I tried to do in the prep for the show, um, you know, because we all know his his shooting numbers just skyrocketed last season. And, I mean, personally, I do think it's going to be really, really difficult for Kimba to uh, replicate that or, frankly, come close. I mean, you know, I think he is going to come down a little bit in his three-point shooting numbers. But, you know, one of the areas that I think he's consistently improved in and something that probably hasn't been talked about enough is in the restricted area. So at the mm-hmm. rim, you know, Kimba last season wasn't his best, but last season. So last season at the rim, he was based, he was 53 and a half percent, which mm-hmm. is below league average. But for a guy like Kimba size, that's not really that bad. Yeah. And it's actually, and it's actually improved um, really over what his career numbers are. Last season, he was somewhere around 55.4, something like that in the restricted area. But the thing to note about this past season um, is a lot of his offense came from there. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people fail to realize that, you know, because we focus on those shooting numbers, which obviously are incredible, uh, you know, and breathtaking, hard to believe. But, you know, a vast majority of his offense, you know, 35 and a half percent came from that restricted area. Um, That's the highest mark of his entire career. So, you know, to me, that's something that I, I tried to focus on today and, and, and getting ready for the show. And it's a number, you know, that, that 53 and a half percent in there, I think that can improve, you know, and mm-hmm. I think the more he finds ways to get there, um, the better he's going to get it, finish at the rim. A few things that I've noticed, I mean, Kimba has become really, really good at using his first step to burst past the defender or the help defender. But then when he gets in, you know, within I don't know, four or five feet of the rim, he's almost like he goes into slow motion and uses that extra step, that Euro step, or gets into the body of the defender Mm -hmm. coming to help. And he really, I don't know how else to say it. It's almost like he takes, he just takes his time at the rim. Mm -hmm. Early in Kim's career, he used that first step of speed to get past that first defender and then second defender. But then he took that speed all the way to the rim and was never really under control uh, when he was trying to finish. I mean, if you actually go back and really watch Kimba and how efficient he's been at the rim in the last few years against much taller, bigger uh, behemoth defenders, mm-hmm. he, it's not that he's avoiding them, but he's just gotten so good at using his footwork and his body to get into them and creating the space uh, to finish those shots. So it's really remarkable on how he's done it. You would think uh, that it's just the, the speed that he has, you know, the creativity that he has, the, the difficult shot making that he has at the rim, but it's not that. It's actually very simple stuff uh, that has helped his efficiency there. And I think it can get better. So I think if there's one place we can look at Kim's offensive game to improve, it's around the rim. 
yes, he, he averaged a whole lot more drives this season, getting to the rim, and he has improved in that area. But you also wonder if for the longevity of Kemba uh, and to stay healthy, if he doesn't need to be driving as much. I mean, I think that's an element of his game that, that needs to be there. And, you know, the threat needs to be there. But with his knees and trying to keep up this pace and this production, you almost wonder if he needs to be farther away from the basket or at least not driving as much so that's one thing that I worry about with Kemba trying to keep his pace from the previous seasons is also just his body holding up and he has yeah Yeah, go ahead no no I was just gonna say Rich I mean I I think you're I think you're right in assuming that that should be something that's real back one of the things I think that has made Kemba that has given him the opportunity to have as many outside shots uh, as he's gotten these past few seasons is like that quick twitch that he has, and that requires his knees to really be uh, strong and, and mm-hmm. operating at a high level. I mean, you know, Brian was talking about that action earlier, where you know, but, you know, he gives it to Batum quickly, like goes off that little Frank flare. I mean, mm-hmm. he has to still walk his defender into a, a tough situation, and then yeah. boom, change directions. I mean, that to me puts as much pressure on his knees as like driving to the rim or that hard crossover. You know, that, that frees him up up to mm-hmm. to get that shot. So. I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's just like, I think that's the larger question with Kemba. And it's something that Nate and I talked about, you know, the other day on, on dunked on podcast It's just like, how much longer are those knees going to hold up when it's driving to the rim, when it's this quick twitch with his crossover, when it's coming off that flare screen, like, I mean, it, it's unbelievable what he, what he did last year, but like, how long is his body going to continue to prevail? So, um, but I, I mean, again, I, you're right in the assumption of like, how long he, can he go drive that hard into those big mm-hmm. bodies? Um, and come down on those frail knees with him also too with the knees I actually worry about that defensively a lot with him you just think how many screens that guy he's gonna always guard the opposing point guard and he's just got to deal with how many screens per game being set by seven foot 250 pound guy I mean I think it was uh when he hurt the knee against Cleveland last year I think it was in December I think it wasn't it. Le- I think LeBron was setting a screen for Kyrie. If I, I, I maybe I know he banged knees with LeBron. I thought it was him chasing uh, Kyrie around a pick too. So that's one of the other issues. One of the other instances when I get a little a little queasy with him with his as far as his health goes. But a couple other things I'll add in too. You know that first step he has where he can kind of get around defender and then slowly doesn't have to go jet speed to the hoop. Kind of that Chris Paul sort of slow down move where you get a guy on your hip. And you can kind of take your time and play the angle and stuff like that. So that's a huge step for Kemba uh, in his development. He averaged 9.4 drives per game this season, uh, which was the most of his career um, and was two more than two seasons ago in 2015, 2016. And I'll also add too, you know, he was right around, like you said, 53, 54% in the restricted area. He had 81 of those attempts blocked. So, you know, cause he, he's six feet tall, 180 pounds. I mean, you wonder, you know, if he's, if he has, you know, what happens if 25 of those shots don't get blocked because he's six foot four and he, you know, he just, it part of these things that I think if you're that height, you, I, I don't know what the best you could shoot from inside the restricted area is, you know what I mean? Just yeah. X amount of shots are always going to get blocked. Even guys like, you know, we think of smaller guys like Kyrie and Curry, like they're six, three, you know what I mean? And Kyrie's wingspan is crazy. And those guys also play with way more shooting surrounding them too. So it, it makes me wonder if, if maybe if he could, if just a few of those shots got blocked, like, you know, maybe that percentage would dip up, would tick up a little bit too. But you know, is that possible? Is it always going to be, look, man, 
20% of these or 15% of these shots are going to get blocked every time you go in there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right, Brian. Like, I don't know that that is, that's not fixable, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of like back to my original point about how he has developed such an uptick in his efficiency at the rim because he was really, really bad his first two seasons in the NBA. Like even yeah. for a, a midget point guard um, <laughs> perspective, like he was still awful, even when you could like, considered all those players um but it's not like he's driving into the lane using a Eurostep and then actually getting really you know getting height and explosion off the floor to finish Mm -hmm. he's not getting up there with the trees and finishing he's just gotten so good at slowing down when he Mm -hmm. does get to that scoring spot in the restricted area getting that defender's body kind of in a bad situation and to your point using that perfect angle to just kind of mm-hmm. flip it up there and finish. He's not getting mm-hmm. the floor necessarily when he's finishing. Yeah. Those. It's all about understanding footwork, number one, to get to the spot and then angles and how you position yourself against the defender to finish, you know, and, and for small guys like Kimba, you know, finishing on the other side of the rim is very, very important. It's something he's also become very good at. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to try to get the guy under the rim and then, you know, use that field to finish on the other side or Steve you, Nash move. Yeah, Steve exactly. Nash move, he, per, he perfected that at, he perfected. Uh, in Phoenix. It's exact, the, the rim is like an extra player on the court for a small mm-hmm. guy like Kimba. You know, you got to use that um, to, to shield the defender's ability to block the shot. But, uh, but look, he's mastered or, or I don't know if we should say mastered yet, but he has improved uh, a ton in that area. And I just think that it can continue to improve. Like, I think it's conceivable to say Kimba Walker could be like a 57 percent, 58 percent guy mm-hmm. in the rest of the area. Um, which is closer to league average. I mean, I think he's he's improving at that vast of a rate. Yeah, and I th- think so too. Yeah, and not to be a downer, I think that he does hunt for fouls a lot, at least earlier in his career. And you can always hear him screaming on TV, just try, hey! trying to get that yeah. foul. Um, that that is one thing that's kind of always irked me about Kimba. There's not there hasn't been many things, but like that, I I've noticed maybe not as much recently, but. You know, he doesn't really. He didn't really go in there with a purpose other than trying to get fouled earlier on in his career. So now, now, like you mm-hmm. said, Spencer, he's learning how to use those angles, and uh, whether it's the inside hand layup or, or the reverse layup, and, and kind of using the rim to shield the defender. But sometimes he just goes in there to get a a foul or try to. What is, does anybody have it pulled up in front of him? Like what his foul rate over the years have been? I'm actually curious. Now that you brought that up, Richie. How many fouls? <laughs> His free throw shooting, like it's just overall free throw shooting rate. Yeah. Or like specifically on, like, okay, so here well, According we go. to him, not enough. Yeah. The, <laughs> so I, I think, I actually think I wrote, I'm pretty sure I wrote something for Sports Channel 8 last season that was like advocating for Kemba to get more calls. Like I was like trying to like make the case that he should, he was deserving of more free throws because it was like compared to guys like Lillard and Kyrie, like he wasn't getting to the line at the same clip that those guys were, but yes, free throw rate. It dipped a lot last season. Hmm. Um, it was actually, in fact, it was a career low 24.8% in the year prior. It was 33%. So it fell, you know, eight percentage points from one season to this past season too. Although one of the things that could also play into that too, I, I maybe have to look at some of the splits with this, but after the all-star break last season. So yeah, before the all-star break last season, 39% of his field goal attempts were three. So probably more drives. And after the all-star break last season, 48% of his field goal attempts were three pointers. So So, again, 
yeah. So you know, he basically half the shots he was taking after the All Star break were coming from twenty four feet out or further, which you know you're not going to get unless you're Jamal Crawford. You know, you're not getting fouled on. Uh, you're not going to get fouled on those. But uh, but yeah, no, I think I think Kemba could is worthy of a few more calls. But that's just my own. <laughs> biased opinion. Well, I mean, it's another, uh, you know, it's another evolution factor of his game. I mean, you know, that's, that's something else he's got to learn. I mean, I think we've seen kind of phase one of being able to get to the line more. That's learning how to get the defender's body in the position Mm -hmm. that you want and give yourself the angle. Now that the next step is, all right, you know, how do I incorporate getting the defender where I want him and using that Euro step or that extra step, you know, to really get that defender's arms or whatever in the position that I want it so I can draw more fouls. So, I mean, that's really interesting stat there, Brian. You know, free throw mm-hmm. rate last season at an all-time low in his career. I mean, yeah. never never would have guessed that. So I would say that's probably mm-hmm. a good sign. Like, there's another place he can improve in. And, and, and then, like you said, I mean, after the All-Star break, how much less he was going to the basket. I mean, probably a factor of just like – him seeing the writing on the wall and exactly saying, I'm going to judge shots and, and not kill my so back to what you said originally, Richie, like I'm not going to exhaust myself and, you know, go to the rim to number one, not get a call. And number two, not finish at the rate. I probably should be finishing. Uh, but I'm going to take more shots, which is, I mean, I can't blame him. That's where his bread and butter was last season anyway. So really enjoyed that piece on Kimba and uh, it's a good conversation we just had. But I mean, I think, I think we've found ways that he can improve. And I think in like the Hornets community leading up to the season, we talk about, Oh, he's just such a great shooter last year, such a great shooter, which obviously is true. But like, let's not forget there's ways that he can still improve his game. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think we should view Kimba as this player who has peaked and will never ever, uh, you know, be the player that we saw in, in 2016 and 17. I think he can get better. And I have a reason he shouldn't be in the all-star game next season. So yeah, he just turned 27 too. You know what I mean? Like he is theoretically entering, he turned 27 in May. This is, this is, this should be the prime of his career if he stays healthy too. So yeah, here we go. I, this is from, I wrote this. Okay. This is from last December. Walker's having trouble getting to the line. Once he makes his, uh, his entry to the hoop, despite passing out of possession, these drives 29% of the time, the third smallest rate among players who average eight or more drives per game. Walker draws few whistles, attempting just 1.9 free throws per drive. Here we go. There are 23 players who average, and again, this is from December, 23 players that average eight or more drives per game. And Kemba ranked 16th out of that group in free throws per game, too. Wow. That's, now, again, that's there, were a, there was a lot of basketball that was played after that. But I think loosely that that trend continued for the full season. So maybe it would be nice if you could get to the line and get some some easy points more this year. I mean, he's an all-star now. Maybe that earns him a few more whistles in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like he's, yeah, maybe. he's proven himself maybe. there. So uh, yeah. unfortunately, that's how the NBA works sometimes because there's a lot of whistles doled out out there that, that certainly don't deserve to be to be right. blown. So we we shall see with Kimba again, Richie. Great job on that, Brian. You did uh, a piece on Frank Kaminsky in again our player forecast series where we were previewing previewing the season uh, for every single player on the Hornets roster for Queen City Hoops. Brian, what'd you find in that piece? You know, it, it's funny. We've, we've batted these numbers around a few times before, and I, I know Richie has talked about these in, in a couple of different spaces, but you know, it's one of those things with Frank where, and let me just pull this up real quickly. The it's the numbers with he and Zeller on the court last season that were very promising specifically when they had Kemba on the court with them. Uh, Kaminsky Zeller, 461 minutes together, and when those guys did that, Charlotte annihilated people, 112 points per 100 possessions, 
uh, and allowed less than 101 points per 100 possessions. That's like the rate of a top three offense, yeah. a number one defense. It's important to note though, that 400 of those minutes came with Kemba on the floor. Um, and uh, yeah, and it did not go quite as well when, uh, when Kemba sat out too. So when, and when Kemba was on the court in those 400 minutes with those guys, they scored 116 points per 100 possessions and allowed just 101 points per 100 possessions. So when they were playing with Kemba, they were really, really good. In the 61 minutes with him off, they were not nearly as good. Um, you know, Frank had a, he was third on the team in scoring. He had more post-ups than anybody else on the roster, which take that as you will. But I don't think he made, I don't, I don't think people were planning on him to make a second year jump last season. I think maybe people, some, some people were hopeful myself included that he would make a little bit of a jump and it, and it just didn't, I mean, it, it did, but it didn't happen. And part of that is he was playing, maybe playing out of position a little bit at times, having to play center. I think of one game in Utah that, the Hornets were actually winning for three and a half quarters or something like that before Gordon Hayward ripped their heart out. But watching him have to guard Gobert, it was like, oh man, like this is just not like not a fair fight watching you having to contend with this monster around the hoop. So, um, you know, he did shoot, I think about 34% on catch and shoot threes. But I just think with Frank, I'm trying to manage expectations. And I think if he could get that catch and shoot, um, number up to 37, 38%. I think he could really help the team because he is a B he, he can pass a little bit. And I, I he, it'd be nice if he got a little bit better finishing closer in the hoop too, towards the hoop and could take advantage of teams, putting smaller guys on him or not worrying about him after a switch or whatever. So if he could punish guys on that, that'd be great. But I'm just asking for a slightly better three point shooter. And I think if he could do that, it would open up a lot of other stuff on offense. Cause for a seven footer, he is a pretty good passer too. So um, I don't know. I guess I would maybe open it up a little bit. What do you guys kind of expect? What did you guys think of Kaminsky's second season? And what do you expect for year three in Charlotte? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think you laid out, you know, pretty much everything from a statistical standpoint, really about Frank's year. And, you know, I think again, in year two, it was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, you know, Richie, you threw out a, a very interesting question, you know, before we, started recording tonight is like what's more infor- more important for frank going into the season is it defense <clears throat> or is it yeah. shooting you know and i think that's a great question i think that's like a good place to really attack the frank kaminsky conundrum and, and and i to me you know amongst exactly all you, that you said brian and, and i think you're right it like if he could get to 37, 38%, you know, as a catch and shoot guy, like all of a sudden we're talking about a much different player in the NBA. But Mm -hmm. I think for Frank, like the problem that still exists is very simple. Like he is the modern day NBA tweener. And if he can't be a passable defender as a power forward, because I think last year was proof enough to (laughs) say like, this guy can't play five in the NBA. He just can't like, and and that's where like you're talking to a guy who this time last year was saying mm-hmm. and, and screaming on the top of the hill like well if you can't play five then forget it mm-hmm. and yeah. now now so now we're kind of to like the last resort with him to me I mean really we are to me I know I know people would disagree with me but like we're kind of the last resort for him as a player if he cannot improve defensively because even if he improves to being a 38 percent three point shooter which is good and not elite by any stretch of the imagination in, in the NBA, that doesn't matter if he's not yeah. a defender at power forward. And that's kind of where we are with Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. 
Very frustrating player. Very frustrating player. Yeah. To answer yeah. your question, Brian, when you said, you know, what were my expectations as a, as a second year pro and what did I think of his second year? To be honest, I actually thought he got worse. I got, or at least he didn't get better. Let me just put it that way. Uh, he definitely mm-hmm. didn't get better. Very frustrating player. Very much a roller coaster player when it comes to his production. You know, he'll have a week or two where you think he could be a starting center or a starting power forward. Uh, they don't have a week or two where you don't even think he should be in the NBA. I think to answer the question that I posed to you guys about defense or shooting, it, it is a very difficult question to answer. Like, if I only had to choose one, it, it is very difficult. Obviously, I would like him to improve in both. I think it's going to be easier for him to improve shooting than it is defense. I feel like I have a little yeah. bit more hope there. I don't really ever think he's going to be that great of a defender. Uh, But if he can steady his numbers uh, shooting the ball, like you said, Brian, maybe 37th or 38%, then maybe I can live with his bad defense. I know, Spencer, you might not agree with that. I think that hopefully we can hide him on defense a little bit more if we surround him with good defenders. But I think if if he's a bad shooter, it's kind of almost hard to hide him on offense because – He clogs up the lane. No one's going to go out there and defend him. We saw him, how many wide-open threes that he missed. Uh, So, you know, they can do the same thing. You know, don't Mm -hmm. don't close out on that guy. So that question is very interesting to me, and I I debated it for a long time and not knowing how to answer it. But I, I would say it's more important for Frank to kind of develop his shooting. But I think he probably would say that he's trying to get better on defense, which he should be. Yeah, It's difficult. It's difficult to say. Yeah, you know, like I think that Frank Kaminsky could be um, a good player in the NBA, an average player, let's say, in the NBA, on a team that is well versed to switch on. You know, is built to switch a lot of stuff defensively. On top of that, has good offensive <laughs> talent across the board. Mm-hmm. I guess basically what I'm describing is the Golden State Warriors. But um, I mean, <laughs> I just you know, like, on a team with like like Charlotte, like, the problem with Charlotte in Frank's fit is that it's just hard to utilize him offensively because, you know, you you can't, it's not like he's, he's good enough offensively to put him out there with like a Michael kid Gilchrist, right. Or, or other wing defenders who kind (laughs) of hurt you on the offense, you know, you know, let's say Jeremy lamb took a leap, you know, uh, defensively, like you can't put him out there with Jeremy lamb and Michael kid Gilchrist. Cause he's just like, he's not a good enough offensive player, or shooter mm-hmm. to put, you know, for it to make sense. So it's like, that's my frustration with him. It's just like, we always talk about these lineups that Frank could fit in. If we put better defenders out there for him to, to help hide him. But like, he's not even that good of an offensive player. Like he yeah. helps for spacing, but like he helps your spacing. So he creates space for guys like Kimball Walker, you know? So I, you know, I, I, I shouldn't go that far because he does help the offense in, in terms of efficiency and numbers, but like his offensive numbers personally are not good enough to justify, you know, mismatching all these lineups. And, and that's a larger problem for the Hornets anyways, but I don't know. I, I really think it's defense for Frank. Like if he can't prove something there this season, I would be absolutely shocked if the Hornets extended him. I mean, just let him become a restricted free totally. agent. Yeah. And see what happens. I, I, I I'm, I'm, he's one of those guys that I'm, I'm fascinated to know what like market value is on an ant, like how, what the annual rate is for Frank Kaminsky. I, I would, lo- I mean, I, I, I can't, it's got to, it's, it's weird. Like, do you think it, it's, is it under 10 million? It's under $10 million, right? Oh God. It? Yeah. It's got to yeah, no, be right. I mean, I okay. mean maybe, maybe, not eight, maybe eight or is that too maybe high? Eight? I don't know. I mean, like, it's weird because like you're, it's like, I'm, 
Patrick Patterson is going to make under $6 million this year for Houston. He's a much better player than Frank Kaminsky, but Kaminsky's just 24 years old or whatever. Too. So I, I, I don't know. I just, all I'm saying is there's no need to, I think we all agree. I think the like online Horton community is in consensus that there's no need to extend this guy by the end of training camp next season. You can just let him hit unrestricted free agency in 2019. And what will be uh, an interesting off season for the Hornets with Kemba, maybe Dwight, Jeremy lamb, all those guys uh, potentially coming off the books that summer too, depending on a lot, a lot of time, a lot of stuff can happen between now and then too. But uh, that will be an interesting uh, off season. You know, you never know what the Hornets would do as far as he, they wanted to bring him back and, as far as you know, his cap hold, all that sort of stuff goes. So, anyways, that's a ways from now, and um, I don't know. I just think this season with Frank, we're gonna get more of the same. Mm-hmm. It is a little encouraging. He shot fifty-seven percent in the uh, in the restricted area this season, this last season. That was that's below average, especially for a seven-footer. But it's amazing as a rookie, he shot under fifty-two percent in the restricted area. That's just like it, it's kind of hard to believe. I mean, Kemba essentially. Right. It's better in the restricted area, at least was two years ago than, than Frank Kaminsky. And um, yeah, as far as post-up possessions, he shot just 41% on post-ups last season, 8.4 or 0.84 points per possession that ranked in the 39th percentile in the league. And he's not a very good mid range shooter. He shot 32% between eight and 22 feet from the hoop. So it's just like, I guess for me, I can justify you being a below average defender if you're, if you can shoot and pass and move the ball, but if he doesn't do that and he can't punish mismatches, then I mean, like Spencer said, he's just, he's a man without a home as far as the position goes. And that's a problem. And you know, again, Richie, like you said earlier, and you presented before we started recording again, like, look, we we've seen, we've seen flashes. Like we've seen games, we've seen moments. I mean, yeah. the one that sticks out in my mind is, is the game in Houston last season. Zeller's hurt. You know, Kaminsky's, very much a part of the reason the Hornets come back from like 20 or whatever they did yeah, in the game. second half, yeah. you know, and that would have been a huge win at that point in the season. Cause they were still in the hunt a little bit. And mm-hmm. so like we see flashes, I just don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I think about it all the time with Frank Kaminsky when upon, especially here in the last few weeks, trying to figure out this team and how it's all going to fit. But I just don't like know what lineups make him a more successful basketball player, because I just can't figure out offensively where his where are his strengths? You know, it's just all streaky shooting. It's yep. streaky, streaky ball handling. Sometimes being able to punish smaller defenders. Other times looking like he's just completely lost when he puts mm-hmm. the ball on the floor. It's just like there's a lot of versatility with him as a seven footer, you know, and, and, and what type of athlete he is. But there's very little skill. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that has progressively surprised me. Uh, with Frank kind of coming out of Wisconsin because I thought skill, you know, was going to be one of his greater assets as, as a seven footer being able to handle the ball, but it has not proved to be the point so far. And he's got to, he's got to put it together this season, fellas. If he doesn't, it's uh, I mean, to your point, Brian, like I, does anybody want that guy? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. It's, just, the it's like even like sign him to his qualifying offer. I, I, I don't. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like does he become. You know, is he is he less good Channing Fry, just younger? You know what I mean? Like, and it's one of those things where it, the reason why it's tough for the Hornets now is because they can't afford to have one of their one of their key rotation guys be a specialist. And I'm using air quotes because 
what Kaminsky should be a specialist in right now. He's not even that good. Like he's not even that good of a shooter. So it's, I just, I don't know his, it will be fascinating to see two summers from now. What, you know, what his mark actual market value is. Cause it's just, it, uh, who knows, man, I'm just not sure what team is out there banging on the door, wanting to get, wanting to sign up a guy like Frank Kaminsky that doesn't really have a position defensively and offensively struggles from shooting from just about everywhere on the yeah. court. I think the biggest issue with Frank, and I'm sure we've mentioned it like a hundred times on this podcast, is, 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 is his <laughs> mental aspect. Like it's so mental with this guy. When, when he is on, like you can tell that he's on. The way that he's yeah. playing with confidence, he'll back people down, spin around, hit a nice little post shot, or he's, you know, you know, like you said, taking people off the dribble, hitting his threes. But when those people aren't closing out on him and he's missing those wide open threes, like it, it, he just seems so much more hesitant with the ball in his hands and what he should do. So I think, yeah. I, I guess he's just not mentally tough when it comes to that. And, and he can't, he can't overcome streakiness. He can't. Like if he has a down game, that affects his next five yeah. games. You know, I, I would honestly say that at this point in Frank Kaminsky's career, his greatest value to Passing? the Hornets. No, oh. I think it's just the fact that he hasn't been effective necessarily shooting the ball, but from three point range, but, but that he can stand there. Right. right. So, he, so, he, so he, so like he, that's gives, true. I agree. I agree. You know what I mean? Just the yeah. fact that he can stand at the three point line and like believe he can shoot that shot. Yeah. At least gives you, even when the defender's sagging a little bit farther off than yeah. he would say a Ryan Anderson or some elite shooter at the power four position, like he still creates that foot and a half two feet of extra space totally. for you offensively. And like, honestly, I think that's the greatest asset that he brings to the Hornets at this point in his career. That's sad. I, but it's kind of uh, true. I agree. And it, look at like, so the last couple of years when, when Brad Stevens has been pretty good in Boston, since they got it four, you can pull, you can look up the numbers. They, they rank high in attempts and three point rate every season, but they're usually like middle to bottom of the third of the league. As far as three point percentage goes, but Stevens just knows We've just, we've got to shoot these. We've got to make the team. There's just, there's value. And I'm sure every old school basketball mind out there would cringe hearing this, but there's, there's literally just value in having guys stand out there and also take these shots. Even if they only make them a third of the time, it's still essentially like not a horrible possession, even though it's a below average three point shooting rate. I mean, is it not kind of the Al Horford effect? Like totally. everybody wants to scream about how Al Horford like shouldn't be paid what he paid, which look, mm-hmm. he probably is overpaid, but the same thing that happened to Kimball Walker last season, it didn't have as much to do with Frank Kaminsky as Isaiah Thomas uh, and his, um, you know, progression had to do with, with Al Horford, but it is kind of in a way the same effect. I mean, just the fact that Horford could stand out there and say, Hey, you don't want to come out here. That's fine. But once I catch nope. this, just remember I can still let it go. Yeah. I'm not going to hesitate mm-hmm. to let it go. And it's worth mm-hmm. three points here opposed to yep. two points down. There. I mean, it's just yep. like that very simple concept does add some value. So Frank, there's, there's your, uh, there's your flash of positive. <laughs> hey, at least Al Horford has a, as a mid range game and he did before the three point shot. He, he was one of the better, not, not even like Fords, better players from the mid range early on in his career in Atlanta. And he's always had True. that. And Kaminsky has never had that. You talked about those numbers, Brian. Like he just, yeah. I feel like I feel like his game doesn't really exist in that area. It's either three or drive to the basket. I don't really see yeah. him as a mid range shooter whatsoever. Uh, no threat but, there. Yeah, I, I just guess like my point is just like you know Isaiah Thomas. Like, wh- let's not be surprised why he just skyrocketed 
in, yeah. um, you yeah. know, last season, all of a sudden when he had a stretch five put next to him, I mean, I, I know exactly mm-hmm. why it happened, you know, even though Horford didn't have a great season, but anyways, um, anything else on Frank? I think we touched on a lot of good stuff. Yeah, uh, that too. I would just say, check out the piece on queen city hoops. If yep. you want, there's uh, some more numbers and stuff like that in there too. If you have any interest in that. Okay. So let's touch on media day here for a minute. Let's see. Um, where do we want to start? So let's start with cliff. Um, Steve Clifford had some really good comments on Dwight Howard, which has pretty much been the story um, leading up to the season, not only from inside of Charlotte, but from the national media. You know, a lot of people, uh, for whatever reason, are trying to really be uh, build up Dwight Howard. Um, I don't know if anyone or everyone has had a chance to read uh, Lee Jenkins' piece on Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated, but yeah. very, very positive. I thought it did a nice job of kind of telling Dwight Howard's life story in terms of being a professional athlete. Um, Christian guy, you know, walked uh, astray of that road and, and I think is getting back to it. I mean, there's things to like about Dwight. Here's the question I would pose to you guys is, you know, are you buying into all this, this positive PR or um, – do you have some anxiety that it is pretty much going to be the same story that's been for Dwight for the past four seasons? I think a little bit of both. I think I am buying into it. I like the fact that Clifford's coming out and, and praising this guy a lot. And obviously his relationship with Dwight has a lot to do with this. Um, and he keeps stressing, like, you know, when we think of Dwight, when he came into the league, like we just thought of this athletic freak that caught alley-oops and just, you know, was this athletic guy that got up and down the court. But he always is stressing his IQ on the defensive end. And it's one of those things that you, you don't really know as a as a casual basketball fan, just kind of watching the game, if someone has defensive IQ. And, and a coach obviously would know that a little bit more uh, out of Dwight Howard. And obviously they've worked together at, at, with the Lakers as well as in Orlando. So, yeah, I, I am buying it a little bit. Uh, still a little hesitant in terms of how he will affect the locker room uh, or if he's not getting the touches on offense. But I think this guy on the defensive end is going to solve a lot of our defensive issues that we had towards the end of the season. I think that, you know, Clifford also stressed this in media day where this is one of the few years that, or maybe the only year that we really didn't improve. And that's what he always stresses, you know, whether or not they make the playoffs or not, he really wants the team to improve throughout the year. And especially on defense, not necessarily on offense, our, our struggles came towards the end of the year. And uh, but it was a you know a big note throughout the whole year was our was our three point defense and I think that with Howard in there I think it's going to affect the team defense but also people will also get a little bit better individually you're not going to like we talked about you're not going to feel the need to kind of help off a little bit with Dwight Howard back there so I, I do definitely individual mm-hmm. defenders need to improve but I think with Dwight Howard back there uh, maybe our our scheme of overhelping will will change a little bit. So yes, I am buying into it a little bit, just with a little bit of hesitancy when it comes to the locker room, and hopefully things go in our favor as well as Dwight's favor. Yeah, uh, Richie, I'm I'll, I'm I'm right there with you. I actually, mindset wise, I'm similar. I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm drinking the the Dwight Kool Aid right now. I'm, I'm in on it. Although if it does go south, don't <laughs> I won't be don't color me surprised or anything like that too. You know, but but for the time being, sure, I'll I'll, I'll buy in. And let's also I'll, I'll I'll throw this in there too. I just I trust Clifford. I, I think Clifford is man. The guy is a hoops junkie. He the guy just wants to hang out in his flip flops and watch film all day. Just what that guy wants to do. He knows ball. And if he says, 
you know, he thinks Dwight's going to help and Dwight's looking better than he has in X amount of years, whatever. Then, then again, I'll believe him. And if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong. You know, I'll just, I'll trust Cho. I'll trust Chris Cho and I'll just, I'll trust uh, Steve Clifford here. And one last thing I'll add to, as far as, you know, we were 14th in defense in points allowed per possession last season and fell out. So obviously fell out of the top 10, I think for the first time since Clifford's been in Charlotte, I'm, I'm almost certain on that. And, you know, look, there's a lot of ways to build a top 10 defense, but the, the, the easiest first step is to have a, 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 like a plus rim protector. And that's what Dwight gives this team. Uh, guys only shot 48.7% against him at the rim last season. Uh, that's better than some other shot blocker type guys. Like you'd expect maybe like Clint Capella, miles Turner, Robin Lopez. It's, it's a top 10, top 11 number in the league. So I think, I think there are tangible and intangible benefits to having, uh, having Dwight protect the hoop. And if he buys in, then yeah, I think this season could be, could be a good fit for both he and the franchise. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you guys. I mean, personally, I just think it's hard not to buy into the hype a little bit. (laughs) It's just like on top of all the positive PR, um, and all the positiveness that have, that have been in these stories, you know, preseason for Dwight Howard. Um, on top of all that, I mean, the guy has a electric personality, you know, and I, I think we've seen that just like out of media day in Charlotte. And I mean, I watched the, the Hornets Instagram story the other day where he, he took, you know, he took over the, the story. And I mean, I mean, how can you not be uh, magnified a little bit to like mm-hmm. that guy? I mean, it's just, it's yeah. who he is. It's he, he is, you know, he does remind me a little bit of Cam Newton. You know, I've said this yeah, a little that's bit. A good, yeah. I think he's a little bit more playful, you know, or yeah. I don't know if that's the right word, but not, not childish either, but he does remind me of Cam. I, mean, I think they have similar personalities. It's ironic. They're both from Atlanta, but you know, I, Dwight is going to help this team defensively. I really have almost zero um, concerns about that. I think you're going to see the Hornets go back to that defensive mindset that they had when Al Jefferson, well, in the last year of the Bobcats, um, mm-hmm. when Al Jefferson just sagged really low on just about every single pick and roll action. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte kept every single action, offensive action they saw in front of them. And it was just really, really hard to get into the paint on that team. Uh, they lucked out a little bit uh, in the fact that teams didn't shoot a high percentage from behind the arc on them. And I think this, you know, the Swords team next year will need to lean on that a little bit. But kind of what we've talked about before, you know, I, I don't want to beat the dead horse because if you listen to the show, you've certainly heard us talk about this. But like, let Dwight sag low on that pick and roll action or any ball screen type mm-hmm. action dribble handoff action teams want to roll with him, you know, run with him involved. Like, but then let the Jeremy lambs, the Michael K. Gilchrist's, you know, the Marvin Williams, let them stick to their, their men a little bit more. Like if teams want to like come right at Dwight at the rim, because that's their only option and just say, well, he's a slow behemoth. Like then let him come. I mean, right. I still feel okay about that. Uh, mm-hmm. and him, him cleaning it up at the rim, but like, you know, Clifford has this big rim protection piece in Dwight now. So revert back to what you did with Jefferson, but let your wing defenders, you know, stay a little bit more attached than you have in the past. I mean, that's what I hope to see 
um, from a defensive mindset when it comes to, you know, what we'll see with the Hornets this year, but it remains to be seen. But that's the, what I'm most excited about. Yeah, I mean, there's no real benefit in him hedging hard and getting out there, you know, the top of the key. No. He's, he's not going to be able no. to get back in time. So you might as well just that's sag That's a disaster. Him. Yeah, yeah so, that's a disaster. I mean, that makes sense, Spencer. Just have him sag a little bit because, you know, if mm-hmm. they're going to challenge him at the rim, uh, they're not going to win all the time. So, I, But if, if he comes out there hard, uh, the success rate goes, goes up. Think about how the Spurs defended James Harden in the playoffs this year. Like, How did they shut that, that beautiful offense, that go-go pick-and-roll machine that is the Rockets? How did the Spurs shut it down? Well, just, Here's your shot. Take it. Every ball screen, they, Gasol would just stand at the rim yeah. and just put his arms up and be like, all right, man, take the 18-footer. You yeah. want to shoot a layup? Well, I'm 7-1, and I'm standing literally right at the front of the rim. Like, Try me. And you'll exactly. miss it. You'll miss it more than half the time, and that's a win for our team, basically. And Dwight exactly. needs to do the same thing here. I mean, look, you're going to run into situations. Harden and the Rockets are one of them. You know, like, well, God, Harden the Rockets, Chris Paul and the Rockets too. Like, you're going to run into situations where the where the one I know where the one five pick and roll becomes a nightmare for the Hornets. Because I mean, Damian Lillard, like. He's gonna come off that, and if Dwight's sagging low, he's like, "All right, man, man I'm gonna, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this three right in your mouth right now." And yeah. that's like that's just the stuff that the Hornets yeah. are gonna have to live with. You have to play the odds at some point. And I mean, honestly, one of Clifford's best defensive teams in Charlotte was the team without Jefferson, one of the yeah. most incompetent <laughs> center defenders in NBA history. Yeah. You know, like when you really break it down, so like. I, I just feel good about this team with Dwight, and I, and I would be shocked if they did not uh, implement a similar style this year. And just again, let those wing defenders do their thing, and don't worry about their guy. Assuming the back's healthy, assuming the back's healthy, then I'm good. You know what I mean? Like assuming if as long as he's good to go, then I then I feel nothing but positives about it. My question to you guys, with him or maybe not because of him, but do you think we'll finish in the top five defensively? Whether it's because of him or not, or do you Ooh. think we're going to improve? We're going to get that high. I think we can. I think it's well yeah. within reach for us to be top five. I mean, I, I think that anybody that would laugh at the possibility of the Hornets being a top five defense just is not paying attention. Right. Uh, but I, I don't predict it. Right. I think they'll fall in the five to ten range, and I think that's I perfectly fine. Um, I love the fact – here's the one thing that Dwight has said um, since his time being in Charlotte. I think he said it at media day the other day. You know, they, somebody asked him, I can't remember who asked him this during his press conference, what's one of your main goals here in Charlotte? And he, and he said to be a top three defense, I think was his wow. one. I can't remember if it was three or five, but like that, like the fact that he's, that's his priority, you know, it's like, yeah. we're going to be yeah. a badass defensive team. <laughs> like that's what we're going to be, you know? And, and that's like, I think that is a component of him and his coach very much being on the same page. He knows Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford knows him. I don't know that Dwight has had that in his last three stops in the NBA. And I'm not, I don't want to sit here and make excuses for the player because it's certainly not me. But I I do think this Steve Clifford Dwight thing and the defensive um, synonym between the two of them and the understanding, I I think, I think there really is something there. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I think they have a chance to jump into, uh, up into the top five, although I'm, I'm closer to the like the like seven or eight range. But, you know, you look at some of the lineups they had last season, even without Dwight, played at a rate of a top five, a top three defense. Some of those lineups with Cody on there, you can just see how good defensively they were. Plus, like if you look at it, too, the other thing that's tough is it's like, look, 
40% of the top five defenses, like you can already pencil in golden state and San Antonio. Like they're, those two teams are absolutely going to be there. The jazz are probably guaranteed to be three. That's already 60. You know, like right. It's already 60% of the defense of it, but you know, the Hawks will probably fall off this year. The heat, those were four and five in the league of defense last season. I mean, maybe Miami will be pretty good, but the Hawks are going to definitely drop back without Dwight. Now that they're Millsap, now that they're tanking, Bulls were six. They'll fall off. Pelicans were nine. Raptors were eight. I mean, Raptors could fall off without Patrick Patterson and PJ Tucker and stuff too. So there's a chance at them getting in the top five, but I think they're almost a lock to be a top 10 defense though, which they basically have to be. Yeah. I would put my money on top 10. Definitely would put my money on top five, but yeah. Cliff uh, also had some, some good comments about the depth. He thinks the depth can be the strength of this team. Quote unquote, our depth can be our strength. Um, you know, I, I wrote down in my notes, kind of prepping for the show. I think that's a little bit overrated yes. as we sit here today talking. I yeah. mean, you talk about all the injuries. I mean, Dwight's back. He's uh, of course that's already an issue. Travion Graham's out two weeks now with a hamstring issue. Um, you know, Julian Stone. We got some good news there. It sounds like that's nothing serious uh, with his groin, but uh, you know that that is something has been mentioned. And then of course, Michael Carter Williams' knees. I mean. Depth is the, probably the last word I would use describing the Hornets going into the preseason. But if they're healthy, um, I, I presume, yeah, well, I assume that it certainly could be a strength. Where do you guys kind of stand on that? I would say better than last year. I don't know if it would be a strength per se. Um, I definitely think it would be yeah. better than last year. I think it would be wishful thinking to think, say that our depth is going to be a strength this year. I mean, not necessarily an excuse, but last year the injuries – it kind of threw some rotations off, you know, out of whack. And Clifford never really settled on a true bench rotation. It wasn't very consistent. And I think that's what's got to happen this year, that he's got to settle pretty early in the season on a true bench rotation pretty early on. Um, and I think that probably plays a factor in terms of improving throughout the season. If you never have the same rotations, it's hard to kind of get improvement yeah. that way. So, but yeah, bench, bench play was pretty terrible last season. I mean, I think that, you know, it starts with the point guard position with sessions. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's an improvement oh there with MCW, I think, uh, also with, yeah. with the acquisition of Howard, it moves Cody to the bench. So yes, you know, he's got a lot of money coming off the bench, but you know, Cody plays like a starter, but he's going to be off the bench. And I think yeah. that we'll see some jumps in, in lamps play. He's getting a lot of praise this off season. And hopefully if Travion uh, stays healthy, uh, they're going to push each other. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a strength, but I definitely think it's going to be better than last year. So uh, as long as they get the rotation set uh, and kind of create that consistency, I think that's where we're going to improve. Yeah, no no Ramon Sessions and no Roy Hibbert <laughs> will make like that. I mean, <laughs> immediately it's better. Just, yeah, I mean, you replace them with, you know, pile on a couple, you know, make you know stack up a couple traffic cones that are seven foot two and you essentially have Roy <laughs> Hibbert. So, yes, by moving Cody to the bench – and, you know, we'll see hopefully MCW Carter Williams can kind of find some of the that early career verb and, and bring that on a on a on a get, get right contract. He has coming off the bench for the Hornets this year. So, yeah, that should help. But I, again, I don't I think it'll be better than it was last year, assuming health specifically Kemba. But I don't think it's a strength. I think the back of wings are aren't very good or or at least, you know, assuming lamb and, and, and Graham, if they make jumps, then, then completely disregard that. But I'm worried about backup wings and second point guard. That's that period. Um, so yeah. other than that, I like, I like the front court depth. Um, I think there's a lot of good players up there too. So we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I can't see it being a strength, but 
as long as it's not a weakness, right. then, you know, Hey, that, that, I, I call that a win. Yeah. I mean, wing depth. You, I mean, you hit it on the head, uh, BG. I just think, I mean, right now, the only thing, you know, for sure that you have coming into the season, literally the only thing, you know, you have coming off the bench in terms of a wing is Jeremy lamb. That's it. I mean, yeah. past that Malik Monk, we don't know where he's going to be. I mean, yeah. Clifford has certainly given it to him in the media with the comments this off season. And, and now, you know, the Hornets are telling us uh, through their, um, you know, their PR account on Twitter that Monk's not even going through contact drills, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's hard to imagine that Clifford's going to give that guy minutes at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. It's just really hard to picture that behind yeah. that Travion Graham. He's got a hamstring injury. He's going to be out for two weeks. He's not going to play at the beginning of the season. Behind that, we'll get, who's behind that? Dwayne Bacon. Dwayne Bacon. <laughs> oh, I keep forgetting about him. We, we yeah. might be looking at a, a real situation where Dwayne Bacon has to play minutes for the Hornets on, on opening night, for for God's sakes. I mean, yeah. like that. that's where we seriously might be. And um, it kind of takes yeah. me to the second point that I wrote down getting ready for the show. It's just like, starting the season with all these injuries and trying to figure out your rotations and, you know, having Michael Carter Williams and Dwight Howard and Malik Monk, like these critical players having to stumble in, um, at some point in the season and try to figure out your rotation on the fly. That's not, that's not a good omen for a team with a lot of fresh faces on it. And, uh, yeah. You know, and and that makes Steve Clifford's job very, very difficult. And I understand that, of course, we understand the draft pick of Malik Monk, great pick. I understand the tw- the trade of Dwight Howard. Look, Rich Cho's back is against the wall. I I would have done it too. You know, mm-hmm. I understand signing Michael Carter Williams. He got a great value and a guy who who might have something a little left in there. But, um, you know, all these guys are hurt, and some of this stuff was predictable. And here we are. And we're getting ready to, to throw the ball up to begin the season. And it doesn't really look like a lot of these key uh, bench players are ready to go. And and I think you got to call a spade a spade. It's a yeah. bigger issue than, than maybe some people out of Charlotte want to call it right now. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, which means like I, I think we're headed towards, you know, you know, guys know how Cliff last year would sub Kemba and he let him play the whole first quarter. Then he'd sub them back in at the under six timeout in the second quarter. And I swear the longest minutes of every game were like yes. the nine to six minute mark of the second quarter where you're just like, Oh my God, just like, just hold it together for three more minutes. So <laughs> Kemba can get back in and start scoring some points. And you're just sitting there just being like, Oh man, they had a nice lead after the first quarter and it's just evaporating. And now they're losing. And there was a now- month of last season where I was just tagging <laughs> Steve Clifford to play a two, three zone. I was like, just, 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 just play his own defense, man. Like why yeah. not at this point, yeah. it cannot get worse. Like, just play his own defense. Yeah, uh, yeah. the Rick, I, Rick Carlisle would have approved yeah. of that. Of that, of that <laughs> too, by the way, just shield the rim off somehow, yeah. some way, build a wall. I don't know. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, the the backup, uh, like your backup big man rotation being Roy Hibbert, Spencer Hawes for a little bit, and Frank Kaminsky. Uh, yeah, the zone may have actually been a better look than yeah. it would try to man up and chase ball screens and spread, uh, you know, small ball fours around the court too. So yeah, Jesus. The only other thing I kind of want to throw out there, um, we don't have to talk about it, but I, but I wrote it down. So I want to make sure I said it is, you know, Julian stone, remember, you know, that he is, I think he's six, five and, you know, seeing him at media day and, and was seeing some of those videos, like that guy's, he's big. Like he looks bigger yeah. than six, five. I mean, like, yeah. so you talk about like if Nick Batum has to float that second unit and kind of be the primary ball handler, like 
Stone can play with, mm-hmm. you know, he, he can fit in as the quasi two defensively right. uh, because of his size. So like, that's important to remember as the Hornets start the season that like, don't be surprised if you see some lineups where like you have Batum and stone out there together, or even stone and Kim out there together, just because, you know, stone can obviously handle the ball. Um, he's a point guard, but at the same time, he's six, five. So he kind of somewhat has the same effect as Michael Carter Williams does defensively next to Kimba, uh, or Batum for that matter with his size. So like, that's important to remember. And you know, we might have to, uh, what we were saying a minute ago. I mean, we might have to depend on guys like Dwayne Bacon and Julian stone to give us some minutes uh, here early in the season. As scary as that, uh, is that sound? All right, guys, so let's get into the uh, the question portion of the show. We do have one voicemail question, 980-999-0678, and you can hear your voice on the show. Uh, and here's our first question. Hey, this is D.D. from Greensboro. And my question is, with the coaching changes, the assistant coaches changes, do you think it will change and affect um, the defensive and offensive game plan? For this question, I think he's referring to the Silas promotion and the hiring of Eddie Jordan uh, in terms of the uh, the coaching staff, and he's wondering if these changes will have a big effect on our offense or our defense, and I would say for the most part, no. I mean, this is Cliff's team. Uh, Silas has been with the team for eight years, so there's not much change there. Um, you know, the only real new face here is Eddie Jordan. You know, he really wasn't that much of a successful head coach. Uh, but he has worked with Cliff before. Um, and the really only thing that I've kind of looked up on on Eddie Jordan, uh, he's known for the Princeton offense. Uh, he tried to implement yeah, that with the is. Lakers. Uh, that kind of failed a little bit uh, in the 2012-2013 season. Um, so I don't think that he's going to be implementing that system with us. Uh, I think it's kind of an antiquated system. They, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a primary, like it's a two-guard high set, uh, and you got three Three people on one side, two on the other, kind of like a triangle. Um, and these three people work together on one side while the other two work off ball. Doesn't look like a Clifford's offensive system. So, no, I don't think there's going to be many changes, at least significantly. Um, it would be interesting to see what his role is on this team in terms of who, maybe who he works with. And obviously we're without uh, Ewing this year, so um, that's another change, I guess. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this in terms of the coaching changes. Will there be any significant changes on either side of the ball yeah i I think it's a good question i I think defensively you're not going to see any change at all i mean richie already mentioned it um you know um coach jordan's known for uh trying to implement the the princeton offense that that's certainly what he believes in in terms of his basketball philosophy offensively you know i think you will potentially see folds of that inserted Mm -hmm. into the to the hornets offense you know they're not going to run the princeton style offense um that's not going to be running the nba with all the ball screens that happen but you know the hornets do like to run a lot of high post uh elbow uh, action uh, with their bigs, which does create space along the baseline uh, in a lot of uh, really the old UCLA offense or the Princeton offense. I mean, the, a lot of back cuts um, and beating your man back door are uh, very much a staple of that offense. So mm-hmm. I think you could see more of that built in. I mean, I think, you know, you, you look at players like Malik Monk and uh, Kimball Walker. I mean, those guys coming off uh, actions to to get the handoff. Um, those players are trying to deny them from taking the handoff or denying them from going to the ball screen. So it does open up those those backdoor uh, type of action. So I think you could see some stuff like that built into the Hornets' offense, but uh, but no change defensively to me. Yeah, I think the same same thing. Just maybe some of the the 
you know, you think of ways to get MKG open on a back cut to the hoop. Maybe some of those Princeton principles uh, from that offense uh, that, that you could maybe see transferred over, but not nah, I can't see much. I can't see much change here. Although I just will say it is Steven Silas is a really good young coach. And, uh, if, you know, him getting promoted up the ranks is good. It also means like he might not be on the coaching right. staff in a year or two from now too, uh, which would be a, which would be great for him, but, uh, would be suboptimal for the Hornets too. But that's the, that's the, that's the game in the NBA. Good point, BG. Yeah. Steven Silas being uh, promoted is awesome for him, but yeah, he's becoming more popular all the time. Uh, good question uh, there, DD from Greensboro. Appreciate you listening. <clears throat> All right, so we've got a few Twitter questions. Uh, the first one is actually from an old Queen City Hoops writer, good, good old friend James uh, Plowright, and and he is, to my knowledge, I think he lives in 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 Britain, in England. So he's actually just started a new uh, Hornets, I guess, is a Hornets site called the British Buzz. So go check that right. out. So he had a question at British underscore buzz. What do you think the minutes rotation will be on opening night? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think this is really a difficult question right now, just because I don't know who's going to be available opening night. Um, my gut tells me that Kimball Walker is going to have to play 35 plus minutes. Yep. Um, I don't love that, but I think it is a reality. You know, I think Nick Batum is going to have to play 32 plus minutes. Um, I, I, I have no idea what to say about Dwight Howard right now. You know, I think Marvin Williams is going to have to be out there 30 plus minutes because you're going to need a big who can play some defense, be a little bit versatile, and be a plus offensively. Um, to be honest with Jeremy Lamb, I think there's another guy who, on that first game, is the way it's looking right now with injuries, probably going to have to play around 25 minutes. Like, outside of that, I don't have a great feel just because of the injuries thing, uh, but I think it's an interesting question to ponder. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I would just I'm, I'm with you too. The injuries kind of throw a lot of stuff off. You'd love to be able to say like, hey, they'll be able to give Malik Monk 15, 20 minutes and just see what he can do, but that seems a little pie in the sky. 96 minutes to divvy up between the four and the five. I would imagine all of that is going to go to Dwight and Cody at the five and then Marvin and Frank at the four. And like you said, Kemba is going to be above 35, 36 minutes. Batum will be in the, probably the low thirties and we'll just have to see how they decide. Clifford decides to stagger minutes between Batum and Kemba. Um, you know, if they're, if we're unsure of what some of the guys like stone and Carter Williams, if they're healthy and ready to roll come opening night too, uh, they may have to make, we talked about this a little bit in the last, last recording, just how they may need to stagger Batum and Kemba's minutes, uh, to make sure there's some playmaking out there with the second unit too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very difficult to judge right now with all the injuries, like you guys were saying. I think we would hope that Carter Williams gets 20 minutes, but you just never know with his knees. I would hope that Batum didn't have to go too long, but with Monk being injured and you know the you know the uncertainty with with Graham, probably going to have to get you know mid 30s. But I do think the Zeller Howard uh, minutes allocation is going to be kind of interesting to see. Maybe as the season goes on, but maybe I think maybe Howard, if he, if he's healthy and he's ready to go with his back and everything, I think he might actually uh, have more minutes than Zeller opening night. Uh, but as the season goes on, I think that might actually flip flop. But you know, it, it's very difficult you- this far out. Do you guys think we see Cody and, and Dwight play together on opening night? Do you think we see any of the uh, like this sort of like Smash Brothers uh, lineup in Charlotte opening night? Cody and Dwight on the floor at the same time. 
Man, that's a great question. I, you know, somebody's going to write a big story on that here in the next few weeks, BG. I, I will tell you that. You know, uh-huh. like whether, whether all right. Yeah. No, no, I'm not talking about me. I just think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's an idea. Maybe I will, but yeah. I just think that's like a that's like an obvious um, elephant in the room, right? With this yeah, team, it is. like yeah. that's why you're asking the question. So, um, yeah, I say yes. yes? I say yes. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know I why so, my guy yeah. tells me. Yeah, but I, I, yeah. I, I think so. Yes, too, because it's just like you know. I think one of those guys is going to want to play. You know, you think. You, in, in some reality, you're like, oh, they just take the 48 minutes, you divide in half, and Cody gets 24, Dwight gets 24. But Dwight with the starters will probably play close to 28 minutes, and you're like, well, Cody's one of our more expensive players. He was our second most important player last season. Yeah. Can we only play this guy for 20 minutes a game? Like, can we only play him for 45% of the game? Like, I don't, yeah, no. I don't know if you can no. do that. So I just, it, seems like, it seems like you're going to have to. Um, have to put these guys together, which like I'm not super stoked about, but I would certainly be curious to see what it looks like. You know, you know, BG. While we're on this topic, I just want to mention this because you're an ACC basketball guy, so you know the blocker yeah. scheme for Virginia. So, like, I think it's love you know, that offense. By the way, Notre Dame runs up like a hybrid of it too. That's like my yeah. favorite offense in college hoops. Well, like if you're going if you're going to trot out Cody and Dwight together, like you're not going to run the blocker mover specifically, yeah. obviously in the NBA, but you can run something along those lines, and I think that's where you could insert like. Those double screens at the same time, basically. Portland that, does this. Portland does this kind of a little bit with with Stotts. It's like what he runs with the Blazers out west. It's like a you know that Vonleh and Nurkic are setting screens at the same yeah. time. You've got two guys right. running off. So yeah, they're and I, that's I think where, there are stuff you can you can unlock with it. That look. That's that's where you put like a Michael Carter Williams with a Malik Muck Kimball Walker look around there around those guys or a Julian stone, really good passer around a Malik monk or a Kimball walk or, or, you know, lamb, if he shows something from shooting, but like that's where you have your two most lethal shooters on the floor, right. Mm-hmm. To run off yep. the two behemoths and mm-hmm. play off of that. I don't know that it's really possible because I think you're going to have to stagger Batum and, and Kimba too much, but like a, a lineup of Batum, Kimba monk, Dwight and Cody really fascinates me because Batum can handle the ball, like be the initiator of their offense mm-hmm. while Kimba and Monk just like mm-hmm. give the defense nightmares running off screen. Yeah. And Batum can also see that slip from the bigs. You know, if the helper from one of the screeners overhelps, like that lineup just really keeps me up at night. <laughs> Cause I, yeah. I think, I think it could unlock some super special stuff, but you know, the, you know, can you survive, keeping the ball in front of you. So I, I think yeah. it's, I don't know. There is, if anybody wants to <laughs> take that piece on queen city hoops, I think it's a, a super yeah. special one that could, that could be fun. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good. To, it's fun to ponder. Yeah. All right. So we have another Twitter question. I like this one. I like this one. This is a good question. So Marion, uh, Ooh, on Twitter yeah. at, at Radford three, 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 who will play more minutes with Kimba and Batum Zeller or Howard. Uh, I just think Howard might be done as a decent first string player. Man, I'm going to have to like think about that one okay. for a second. I got yeah, it. Yeah, somebody go. I got the answer. There you go. Here you go. Um, <laughs> no, it's funny because he says, I think Howard might be done as a decent first string player. I think that plays a factor in this question, but I also feel like it's more at the end of game. So like, yeah, Howard might be done as a first string player, but I think where this question might be a bigger factor is Kimba and Batum might be playing with 
Zeller at the end of games a little bit more, not necessarily Howard. So um, I could see those three playing together maybe the last six or seven minutes of the game. I think it's, you know, hopefully Howard doesn't um, get too pissy if he doesn't play the end of the games. This question's very difficult. I would say I would say Howard to begin the season, Zeller to end to, to towards the end of the season. And I think mm-hmm. uh, obviously at the end of games, I think maybe where those three, Kemba, Batum, and Zeller, that's where they're going to see their most minutes. Uh, but I will say I do like the the Batum and Howard pairing a lot in terms of getting yeah. the lobs up to Howard because mm-hmm. I don't think Kemba necessarily is is too comfortable with that. But that, that's that's a definitely interesting question to ponder. Yeah, uh, it, it's tough to say. I'll I'll be curious to see what happens when we have a little bit of data to work off of. Uh, this is kind. Of, I, I hope this isn't a cop out, but just like you know, we'll see after a month of games. You know, which we can we'll be able to very easily look at. Probably won't be quite enough data to to make any sort of uh, any sort of super educated and informed decision. But just to see which of those two guys, uh, you know, is as the sort of better you know net differential, and if that influences what Clifford goes forward with for the majority of the season. But I, I'm with you. I think, uh, I think it'll be Dwight to start just cause he's going to be starting with them, you know? So right, even, if, right. even, even if you sub between six minutes yeah. in the first quarter, then and maybe you do that with Dwight too, or whatever, you know, he just, he's going to be playing those starter minutes with them at the, at the, at the, the onset of the half first half, quarter yeah. and the third quarter. Exactly. So I think, and I just think that will end up influencing it to Dwight, but I think it could be close. And, you know, more importantly, more than you know, which lineup do they, do they play more? It's going to be the one they close with. That's, you know, what, what's their crunch time five. And I think it certainly involves Kemba and Batum and it almost certainly involves uh, Cody Zeller too. Yeah, I I agree with you guys. I think it is going to be close. I th- I don't expect Dwight Howard to play 65 regular season games. I, I frankly, I don't really even expect him to play 60 games. And I'm not trying to be funny there. I just yeah. I I I, I truly don't think he's capable of, of making it through that much of a season anymore. Um so I think that the scale will tilt towards Zeller when it's all said and done. You know, obviously Dwight's going to start games. He's going to get his minutes there with, with those two uh, Kimba and Batum, but like, I think that w- what will ultimately decide the answer to this question um, is going to be: it, it, Have we gotten to the point, and, and does that continue with Dwight to where he, like he doesn't even see the floor in the fourth quarter, and it's pretty much specifically Zeller, and Zeller would have plenty of gas by then because you, yeah. you're, you're conserving a lot of his energy uh, early in the game, or like does Dwight at least come back on for? five to six minutes in the fourth quarter and then Zeller finishes like that's really what's going to decide it is is Dwight just like we don't play him in the fourth quarter is that where we get before the all-star break or like is he still going to be out there with the starters and then Zeller finishes the game so I think that's really what decide but you know what really decides this is (laughs) health I mean, if yeah. Dwight can miraculously be out there for at least 65 games, it'll easily be Dwight because that means that, you know, Dwight's out there, he's playing hard, he's contributing, you know, he's setting hard screens, he's rolling to the rim hard, like, you know, that, that then the Hornets are a much different monster. But uh, if, if what we expect to play out plays out, then I think it's Zeller easily. Isn't it typical for Clifford to begin the fourth quarters? Is kind of have some reserves there, like about to like the five, six minute mark, and then and then he puts on the starters. Then the starters don't start the fourth quarter under Clifford, right? Is that is that true? If I remember correctly. Yeah. No. I mean, that's yeah. yeah. 
Definitely, exactly. Kemba never is. I mean, Kemba's right. always sitting, sitting at that moment, or almost always sitting at that moment. So that's what you wonder. So, like, is Dwight going to start the fourth quarter, or are they going to have him rest the beginning of the fourth quarter, and then he ends the game? Because I, I can't see him not playing the fourth quarter at all. Yeah, no, I think I think he'll get minutes in the fourth. I, the free throw shooting makes me think yes, that. I mean, not yeah. Cody. Cody's not exactly a sniper from the free throw line, no. but I think the I think his advantage from the stripe. Um, just cause I think people are just going to just, you know, if it's a lob or Dwight, they'll just hit them and put them on the line. And, you know, I think Nate said this on the podcast with you, Spencer, like you just, if you're lucky, you know, he makes, he makes one of two. So, um, yeah, yeah I think, I think Cody has the edge there. I will say this Dwight played 30 minutes a game last season in Atlanta. He More averaged a, a little, and he averaged a little under city average 6.9 minutes per game in the fourth quarter. Huh. So it's a little, it's a little under, you know, 25% of his minutes came, came in the fourth quarter, but I mean, that's a completely different coach and system and everything else too. So yeah. I, I wouldn't don't, I wouldn't use too much of that to influence what's going to happen this year. And like Spencer said, it's about health. Yeah. I, you know, I, a lot of this will have to do with like, I mean, my presumption is that he would be out there with Kemba, kind of to your point, Richie, as as much as possible because Kemba doesn't start the um, the second and fourth quarters. But you know, it, it's going to be super interesting, and it's going to be a telltale sign to see how Kemba and Dwight, um, you know, what their net rating looks like through a month of the season. I mean, that could change this entire lineup, and yeah. and it's going to be, and that's what scares me the most. I mean, if for some reason Kemba and Dwight just just don't mesh well together. It's it's nearly impossible to find a good spot on the floor for Dwight. So it'll be interesting. And Brian, to your point, yeah, about the free throws, good one. And I'm a little bit afraid the Hornets could be one of the one of the uh, bottom ten free throw shooting team this yeah. season. I mean, yeah. they already kind of struggle from there, especially in spurts. And yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm a little worried about them from the charity stripe this season. So that'll be interesting. I feel like Lamb was one of our better free throw shooters, which is, I mean. Not a bad a great sign, but like, yeah, I mean, I just feel like there's got to be more out there. Yeah, I mean, Frank leaves a bunch there. Zeller leaves yeah. a bunch there, like Brian said. I mean, Dwight's obviously going to leave a lot there. I mean, really, it's Kemba, Lamb. Marvin's not as good as you'd think he'd be. So, um, at least, I don't think he is. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But, yeah, I, I'm a little worried about the Hornets from the free throw line. So, we'll we'll see how often they get there this season and, yeah. you know, what that rate is. That That's probably an under... Mm-hmm. An underrated aspect to this offense. All right, guys, this part of the episode should be pretty insightful, pretty exclusive stuff here with Steve Clifford. Brian and myself got to go to the Spectrum Center on Saturday for the Charlotte Hornets open practice. We took in all the festivities, but we also had the opportunity uh, to ask some questions to Steve Clifford, the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, we have four clips here that uh, Clifford responds to our questions. And we thought they were pretty insightful, informative stuff here on the Charlotte Hornets for the upcoming season. This first clip is a question that I got to ask Clifford. And the question was in regards to the new hiring of Eddie Jordan. And if we would see any of his Princeton-style offense philosophies uh, being implemented into the Hornets this season. With him, uh, you know, we, we actually do... Um, aspects that we are exactly right out of his playbook and then we also have a lot of concepts that we do out of other sets just to utilize guys differently but he's already seen some things and we'll tweak and uh, he's, he's very creative but I mean he's also he's a very good defensive coach too but he's, he's very creative offensively yeah. alright the second clip is a question that I got to ask Clifford and it was about the addition of Dwight Howard and how he will affect the perimeter defense. 
Well, I think what it does is you can stay home more. You know, I mean, he's such a great uh, basket protector. And now there's components of that because he's also, he was still, I believe, a little over, a little under three blocks a game last year, I believe. So with that, and he's always been so instinctive about the decision-making of when to go to block. Now that brings in some sinks and some team things that have to be coordinated on the weak side. Um, but what it does do is, you know, our biggest problem last year was our three-point defense, and a lot of that gets back to rim protection. So when you have somebody like him in the middle, you know, you don't have to come as help nearly as early. This third clip is a question from Brian, and he asks Clifford, how much has Cody been working on his mid-range game this offseason? So, I mean, like one of the things that's happened for Cody is this is something that he's been working on since he got here. Mm-hmm. It's his shooting mechanics, uh, his range, and, you know, I think one of the things that's gone unnoticed is is the last two summers, you know, he was hurt a good part of the mm-hmm. summers. You know, he, this is the first time he's had a full summer to just work on his body and work on his game. And he's worked really hard both with Pat Delaney, the assistant that works with him, and then with Bruce Kretzer on his shooting. I think his shooting mechanics are uh, much more consistent, which has led to a confidence, which, as you guys know, I mean, there's nothing more uh, more important than shooting than really confidence. That leads to better concentration, and I think that's where he's at right now. This final clip is a question I asked Clifford about the possibility of Dwight and Cody playing together on the court and what advantages that would bring and how often we would see it. You know, obviously when you're playing groups, you're looking at balance within the groups and then both, you know, offense and defense. You know, they could end up playing. What I look at is uh, San Antonio. You know, uh, Aldridge gets sold. You know, last year, the other team that I thought about initially was Cantor with Adams. Uh, and there'll be other times with other teams that during the course of a game they'll go bigger. You know, the Knicks did it some last year. You know, I don't know if they'll do it again. But those are the games where I see them more being able to play together. Uh, I don't think it's at all, like if we have to, I don't think it's at all anything that we couldn't be effective with. Just that the reality is, is that you have Marvin and Frank and frankly, it's hard to find enough minutes for both of them to play well. Like, to me, it starts with a lot of things. But to play well, you, you want to put every player in a role they can be effective with. Then you either give them less or you give them more. And all of that starts with minutes. That's why, like, when people say, oh, just throw the guy in. Well, you know, six minutes is the difference between you know, 26 minutes for somebody or 20. And it just, the, the world doesn't work that way if you want guys to be in rhythm and playing well. So that's the other part, though, of those two guys playing together is, is that the four men are so good. All right, we'll be back uh, in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> and once the regular season begins, uh, you can expect, at a minimum, one episode per week. So we're going to start kicking the tires um, a little bit more as the season ramps back up or, or ramps up officially. Uh, we want to step our game up this year and get more content out there to our listeners. We have grown a lot here in the past year, and, and, and everything is because of all you guys spreading the word, listening to us consistently, engaging with us. So we thank you for that, and we promise we're going to get as much content out there uh, as we possibly can. 
And some of that may come in the form of Periscope. So speaking of Periscope, Richie, tell us a little bit about uh, about the show that we have on the dock coming up. Yes, uh, we do have a little bit of a schedule change. Uh, be sure to join us Wednesday, October 4th. Uh, it was originally scheduled for Tuesday, uh, but we're going to push it back one day uh, just for some scheduling concerns. But it's going to be about 7 p.m. Uh, we will go live on Periscope. Uh, we will be talking about the headlines for the uh, 2017-18 season for the Hornets. Uh, each of us will give us a prediction on maybe a win-loss totals, maybe where we're going to fall offensively and defensively, player projections, and much more. Uh, definitely don't miss this. Join us live. You can interact with us, and you can even ask questions uh, through the Periscope app. So uh, the next time you hear from us, we'll be on October 4th, which is a Wednesday. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. That's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys tune in for that. Um, you know, If you can't be there for the whole time, just pop in and out. It, it should be uh, a lot of fun and, and, and a good, a good fun listen. If you liked, especially if you liked our, our draft show back in June, uh, I think this will be even even better than that. Thanks again for joining us on the 37th episode of BuzzBeat. I've only been here for a few of those, but that's all right. Be sure to rate and subscribe to BuzzBeat Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or, or whatever your preferred podcasting app. And we will see you next time. Go Hornets. Season right around the corner. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.